Hey, Wonderfuls, welcome to episode 437 of the JV Club with my guest, Liz Winstead. I have to say, this is back-to-back comedy legends, and I could not be more excited to have this woman follow Paula Poundstone as my next lady post-boys of summer. She is a powerhouse. And stay tuned in the episode because I wanted to push this episode out this week because she's got some very cool stuff coming up that you can watch in virtual time, in virtual real life. And check it out if you're listening to this episode on Thursday when it drops. There's something tonight that you need to check out. Check out those show notes for more details and listen to the episode. Uh, But again, could not uh, be more thrilled to get Liz's perspective on a ton of stuff. So please enjoy the episode. I hope everyone is doing well, and I'll talk to you next week. person who founded and started all kinds of famous legendary comedy and political kind of merging together stuff well wow hi how are you I mean that's a that's a broad thing all of a sudden I feel like wow did I in between um in between Uh, no one ever mentioning it except uh other women let me work it in yeah oh is that (laughs) Man, that doesn't surprise me in the <laughs> least. Well, especially if it's something that, you know, like something like The Daily Show in its very early stages um, with Craig, very different animal, uh, <laughs> the show and the person. And, uh, you know, when you have somebody who's like when when the when the sort of forward facing personality is male, forget about it on the back end. Right. Well, it's also interesting, too, because I've often thought and watched how um, the weird way sexism plays itself out in giving credit and a show that um, men would want to have done. They don't want to give up the credit, but like, you know, and they don't invite you into the club as much, but like, you know, the woman who invented Spanx, she's a, (laughs) you know, she's on, she's like, on the fortune 500 and she's doing great and everyone loves her but if that but the woman who wants to take over goldman sachs not so much not as excited to invite her successes into the fold you know it's sort of these creative lanes of where you get to arrive at superstardom you know that's a really good point great but you know like you know oprah had a niche and if she just started taking away crap from men i think it's a different stitch I mean that is that's a really good observation and and uh and I would also say have you watched I feel so embarrassed because apparently LuLaRoe was like a clothing sensation and multi-level marketing like huge phenomenon making billions of dollars in very short period of time I had never heard of it but now there's an Amazon prom an Amazon prom thank you is Amazon, it Amazon prom, prom? There's an Amazon prom. They're doing it all now, Liz. You can go to prom <laughs> oh with Amazon God, at one of their warehouses. <laughs> Are you familiar with that, LuLaRoe? We don't no, have to talk about it. No, I don't it even know what okay. it is. So I, I, I think if you started watching the documentary, you might become angry semi-quickly. So maybe you don't even want to do it. But I'm fascinated by it because it was founded by 
an LDS couple and my mom's my mom was Mormon and I went to church with her as a kid until I graduated high school and then I was like oh by the way goodbye to that forever um but it, it, it the reason that I thought of it is that for the first couple of episodes, it's a multi-level marketing situation. It's like leggings and like comfy t-shirts and this and that. But, you know, you have to buy the inventory and then you sell it. But really, you're just recruiting people to be under you so that you can get their bonuses, your bonuses from that and all this. So it's a full-on so pyramid Mary scheme. Kay Ponzi scheme for exactly leggings right. and stuff. Exactly right. Ooh. And what they started doing was shifting the goals and shifting all of the language. First, it was all about like being a girl boss and like stay at home moms being able to stay at home with their kids, but also make money for the household, which was very inspiring to a lot of women. And then they started sort of targeting their language to be like, and you should get your husband involved because, you know, he's just going to think it's this weird thing you do if you don't. And you know what? Maybe you should give the financial control over to him. And like they slowly started plugging in all of these old school and frankly still current school in many ways, Mormon sensibilities that are like, I mean, you're still the wife. You still need to stay home and you still need to, you know, say yes to whatever your husband wants. Like, it is chilling that that it is cloaked in this very sort of like, hey, it's okay for you to be. You're an empowered woman. You can do whatever the fuck you want. If that means staying home with kids, there's nothing wrong with that. You can have your own business. Is this helpful? Yes, it is. This is great. You're going to be making money from home. So it's scamming you. So not only is it a pyramid scheme, but it is also enforcing these very old marriage tropes that essentially are telling women like at the end of the day, it is about pleasing your husband. Isn't that amazing? But you might want to watch it because it's very interesting. I always want to watch that stuff because, like, there's not, I don't have enough rage layers in my cake. <laughs> there's always room for one more. There's always room they can, for one more. You can more. squash those things paper thin and then you can just keep fitting them in and squashing them down into your body. It's oh, absolutely doable. God, how? <laughs> what? Okay, I am going to watch it. Where's it? Amazon? Is Amazon Prime. Okay. Right after you have your Amazon prom. After slip Amazon off prom, that dress I'm do it. And, and then slip watch into it. magical underwear and watch them. And slip into your magic- sell magical it's a, it's leggings. A whole thing. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. I'm surprised actually that they didn't sell garments now that you say that. Um you, my friend, are from Wisconsin. Minnesota. Minnesota. You're from Minnesota. The two states where the funniest people come from is how yeah. I feel about Wisconsin and Minnesota. I agree. There's a lot of that. And of course, either state would set you on fire for that mistake you just made. Now I'm so sorry. That's okay. You're forgiven. It's so funny because I was just thinking, I mean, I, I had the conversation with myself like, oh yeah, Minnesota. I've never even been to Minnesota. Let me bring up that I've never been to Minnesota. And then I still said Wisconsin. Which it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. You should Sucks. come to Minnesota because it's... Go ahead and set me on fire. ...far superior than Wisconsin. Um, yeah. And it's Believe. also... Okay, great. Re- well, also, I mean... They have some creepy. We don't have Ron Johnson, and people here are, are vaccinated and wear masks. So I you don't have that. that. There is that's a oh oh you don't have people who aren't doing that. Or we know we have like, like one good, of the highest vaccine rate, vaccine nice. vaccination rates in the country. We're nice. doing great. Yeah, yeah. I got to get up there. I'll be up there in maybe twenty four hours. Let me see what I can what fl- flight I can hop on. 
uh, how how was it growing up there as a funny as a funny lady? I mean, that sounds so gross and stupid, but uh, how, did you feel like that was uh, appreciated when you, for example, were like a high schooler? And, and was that stuff showing itself at that point in your life or were you sort of, you know, keeping it in? I was, you know, I was more the class cynic than I was mm-hmm. the class clown even early on, um, yeah. just because I had... Um, a lot of the things I loved were really just non-gendered things and everything was frowned upon, you know, and also just even like, I didn't like to babysit. I wanted to be an altar boy and make my money that way. And it was like, oh, you can't. And so I like took it really far. Like I went and talked yeah. to the priest and I was I like, it. what can I do? And and he, he did that thing that adults do, you know, when they're nervous. And so they just start rubbing on their pants on the... <laughs> thighs of their pants like getting the sweat off the palms of their hands and in his brilliance he literally said well it's called altar boy and I was like "Mm, that seems like an easy fix and I wasn't trying to be an asshole I was just trying to be like well I can help you there if I'm a girl then you can just call me an altar girl um and then he was like well maybe you need to talk to the archbishop and this was the best part is that um it was widely known in adult circles that the archbishop at the time was a raging alcoholic. In fact, he, you can Google this. Um, he drove during Lent drunk into a 7-Eleven, the front oh. of a 7-Eleven, oh, no. not doing great. So they knew not that if I great. reached out to the archbishop, I was going to get no response, <laughs> but it would be passing the buck. Um, okay. couple quick questions about those two things. Number one, this isn't really a question. This is just more a how am I I'm not years old and I did not know that you could make money as an altar boy. Tips. I had no idea. Tips at weddings and funerals. No. Okay. Had tips. no idea the tips. that there was a little money to be made. Oh, it Number was like t- a secret. Yeah. Oh, tips. From, yeah. Okay. So this is this is this is a revelation to me. And then second of all, um, and maybe you're going there with this, but in case you're moving off of the Catholic side of things, uh, so interesting to be a part of a community that ultimately perhaps was not a fit for you but within it i'm always fascinated by people inside of religions who whatever age whatever reason are trying to sort of change it from the inside yeah because that seems so futile to me but people do it and people succeed at it but that is something that i have that is a real love it or leave it for me do you know what i mean i do and i think that um the trying to change it from the inside part was the folly of youth. <laughs> yeah. I think... And one of those dollars. With an institution... Like the, and I also thought altar boys were like the gateway to priests. And I love the way that everybody liked priests. So I was like, yeah. oh, that seems fun. He's on a stage. He's talking uninterrupted. Maybe I sure. want to be that. And it was like, sure. you don't want to be that. <laughs> also, you can't be that. So I just kept, yeah. g- kept getting myself stuck. But um, as soon as I realized that like... There's no changing the institutional, um, you know, fundamentals. When it, when something is based on patriarchy and oppression, like you're not gonna you're not gonna break its foundation and shake it to the core. And even the best pope, it's sort of like being the nicest serial killer. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, this guy's good. Like, oh, he believes in science. Right. It's like, shouldn't we all like? Do we pat people on the back for that now? You know, it's also kind right. of like, you know the smartest supermodel or whatever, you know? And so I just kind of was like, I just feel like I don't need to 
we have like this oppression framework to be a good person. I feel like I have feelings. I feel like I know when I feel bad. I know when I made others feel bad. I should work on not doing that because that also doesn't feel good. I don't need, um, you know, Sky Daddy to tell me that. So, yeah. Yeah. Sky Daddy. (laughs) It's a different compass. It's definitely a different or it should be the same compass, but is not the same compass. It's a a different different moral compass. It should be the same. But I also Um, respect people who when I see them doing really good works and it's and they credit um, their religion, like that they are inspired through religion and that they like I I love that. You know, there's a I do, too. A great organization called Catholics for Choice who work constantly on issues of reproductive health rights and justice through their social justice Catholicism lens. And they're really cool. And they're like, it doesn't abortion is not talked about in the Bible. And so we're not going to judge people around decisions they make like it's not our oh wow okay so they're able to still they're able to still actually refer to a holy text and make an argument through that which i know everyone does if they believe in the bible everybody's got can sort of find ways to use it as a tool but it never occurred to me that that a pro-choice group could lean on that as well on that is quite impressive and they've they've risked you know, they're standing within the church, you know, they're, yeah, you know, it's like they could be excommunicated. Churches that won't serve you communion. There's churches that say you're not really a Catholic. And they're like, no one's going to tell me what my faith is like nobody. Yeah. And so I have the same text you have and, and the same interpretive um, rights to it. And yeah. I don't see what you see. And yeah. I'm living my life as a good person. And I'm like, all right, I like you. For sure. For sure. And there's so much community that people that people become attached to for good reason. That makes it sound like I'm saying it's a crutch. If you have a tremendous community within your religion and you have you feel like you're getting you you, whatever your spiritual relationship is with your higher power or what have you, if it's if it fits comfortably in the form of that organized religion, that's wonderful. Uh, Agreed. I just don't have that. And, you know. Maybe I will one day. Maybe I'll have a late breaking experience that, you know, sends me deep into the Universalist Church or something. I don't know. Um, But it's interesting, too, to you know, when we say things like, uh, you know, any anything that has its foundation in patriarchy and oppression is going to be a tough uh, sell to change. Obviously, we're steeped in that and have been in one form or another for couple hundred plus years in our own country sometimes things are changing things change yeah Yeah, i know sometimes they change back yeah so (laughs) we'll see how that goes i know i just feel like i was i was so mad for so long that and then i was just like just leave just leave well that's what i was gonna say is is there a is there a is there a sense to that with the united states of america because you know, I remember I've, I think I've brought this up on the podcast maybe once before, but Barbara Kingsolver, uh, who's a lovely novelist who sort of splits her time between the Ozarks and Tucson, Arizona, which is where I'm from. Uh, so she's a bit of a local hero. Uh, well, I think her first essay in in her in her book of essays, High Tide in Tucson, was after Bush, OG Bush, uh, OG President Bush declared war that she saw she was so uh, she was so upset about it and then she saw a bumper sticker in front of a, on a truck in front of her that said America love it or leave it and that was that turning point for her and she was like I'm leaving 
I'm going to see what that feels like. I'm actually going to see what that feels like. And so she went and lived, you know, in Italy or something for a year or two uh, and, you know, came back and had a different relationship to the United States, both more positive and more critical and cynical. But um, that is something that I think many people have like that has been in conversation, COVID notwithstanding, for the last four years or so at a level, at least with our peers, that has not existed since the Vietnam War. You know, this idea of like, should I just go? Maybe I need to go. Where do I go? Yeah. I mean, it it happened during the first Gulf War, like you said, and I just feel like, um, why should I have to go? You know, we live in a country that is so chopped up in politics that, um, you know, when Democrats literally govern, three million more people than Republicans because of the way our political system chops it up and, and creates districts where um, you are rigging elections. Um, People aren't represented. And so the bullies who are the minority are saying, leave. It's like, shut up, leave. I'm not, but that's what I'm saying. Like some Catholics might feel like that too. Like, Hey, more of there are more of us than you think and why should i have to leave you should change this because you should reflect what's going on in the in the cultural climate that's just not my relationship yeah. with religion and but i, I could sort of that, see using the same argument i know? think the difference is um a religion is a choice and you are born in a country and that's for a lot of people you don't have a choice to that's live it. and why yeah. should you have the choice and yeah. two um if there's a lot more of you then open your mouths and change yeah. shit and yeah. do something about totally. it. Because if we if we sit back and we don't say anything um, and we're like, well, that's just the way it is. There's more of us and I'm a good person. It's like Martin Luther King said, you know, it's it, you know, he's not the problem isn't, you know, and paraphrasing the problem isn't, you know, the appalling, you know, terrible people. It's the appalling silence of the supposed that's good right. people. And so, um, you know, if you are sitting in silence, that is how all of this shit happens. It is how black people get killed by police officers. It's how abortion laws happen. It's how our environment just turns to garbage. And, you know, it's, you know, my dad used to say, Liz, if you take too many stands, you'll stand alone. And I said, Dad, if you stand in the middle of the road, you get hit by a car. Where are we now? <laughs> that's a tough argument to beat. Dad got schooled on that one. Yeah. To say what did he? What was his response? Was he like, "That's a fair he's point. like, uh, well, he always used to say to me, "I raised you to have an opinion, and I forgot to tell you it was supposed to be mine." Ah, <laughs> uh, like, yes, indeed. Fail, Dad, fail. Okay, we're gonna take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Wonderfuls, it's time for us to check in with ourselves and with each other vis-a-vis our mental health because this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. If you have grown tired of hearing me talk about how much pain I'm in sometimes with my neck and my herniated disc, then you have a little snapshot into what my heart feels like sometimes. You know, even if everything else in my life is going smoothly, being in physical pain has a real toll on your emotional state, on your moods, on your stress 
stress levels. And so I have definitely spent time talking to my therapist just about what isn't feeling right physically. So whether you are stressed out about something specific, you are just feeling like you want to talk about something that you're going through because you need a boost, you need to help better understand something that you're dealing with, you can definitely use the chance to unload. So do it. Unload it. Get it out. Talk to somebody who's completely unbiased about your life. Someone I don't have to worry about when I complain about physical pain. They're not going to judge me. They're not going to feel like, oh, I can't believe I'm having to listen to this again. It's so nice and makes me feel so much better to know I'm not always burdening a friend with something like that. BetterHelp is customized online therapy. It offers video, phone, even live chat sessions with your therapist. And I can definitely say it could be more affordable than in-person therapy. So see if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and the JV Club listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash JV Club. Have your first session in under 48 hours at B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash JV Club. Congratulations, you've won a ticket to attend an exclusive opportunity in a relaxing environment with two lovers. Wow. Well, this sounds like a sort of proposition of sorts, but really it's an ad for our podcast. Wonderful. It's a show we do here on Maximum Fun where we talk about things that we like and things that we're into. I'm Rachel McElroy, and you just heard Griffin McElroy, and we are excited for you to join us as we talk about movies and music and books. Things like sneezing or the idea of rain. <laughs> can you get news or information you can use? Absolutely so. you cannot, because we're here to talk to you about pumpernickel bread. You can find new episodes on Wednesdays. So catch, catch the wave! Okay, so you're in high school, you are interested in things that are not gender-specific, but just by virtue of that, you're sort of in trouble because you're supposed to like certain things. Um, what else were you into? Like, what was your what was your sort of adolescence? How was that shaped? What were the people that you were hanging out with? What was the music you were listening to? Oh, well, I mean, it was, it, I was a wildly, like, frenetic person. So while I say that, like, the music I listened to was like, I was like an early adopter when punk rock started happening. I was there, you know? Yeah. And so um, I really loved the clash and I really loved um, Elvis Costello and then like really like hardcore bands, like UK subs. And like, you know, I was like, went in hard. So I loved, I loved um, punk rock music. I loved hardcore music. Um, but then also like we had a kick squad at our school that was um, was not your average halftime rocket squad. We, uh -huh. we danced to like Joan Armitrading and Stiff Little oh, Fingers nice. and like, and so that was really fun. So we were kicking and doing stuff, but it was like totally different. But it was really, um, you know, it's high school is that weird place where fitting in is paramount, and um, and also just defining yourself as one thing so that you can handle it. And I never did that. And so I was with the yeah. theater kids and then dance line and I really love hockey and I really like to golf and, um, you know, and like all this stuff. And it was just a hodgepodge of, of absurdity that nobody ever knew where to put me. So the second somebody would try to throw me into a corner I'd be popping up in the next place being like, I don't think so. I'm sneaking uh -huh. in. I got a fake ID. Bye. So, um, That's yeah. Awesome. And Minneapolis is yeah. great for that. You know, like 
music town. It yeah, was big um, time. You know, it was it's a very cultural like it's a cultural hub. And it's also um, it's a super progressive liberal place. And so what was fun about growing up here was that um, going into college, a lot of small town queer kids would come to Minneapolis because in the, from the Midwest because Chicago was such a big city that mm. there was the secondary um, manageable city. A little bit of a softer landing. A little bit of a softer a, landing. And yeah. so we historically, we had the first gay mayor in, or one of the first gay mayors in the United States in the 1970s. And That's so um, it was just always a place where, you know, Prince always used to say, like, you just you just got to be whatever you wanted to be here. And, you know, this is the town, when you think about it, this is the town that raised Prince. And so when you think about that, that says a lot. When you think about that, especially since it's, you know, primarily white. And so, um, and um, indigenous folks. And then um, some black folks migrated up. um, uh, But, um, and then there was a big Vietnamese influx um, after the war. The Lutheran church did a lot of, um, um, like proselytizing and converting no and people, not even what? it was like yeah. we have the most liberal refugee policy of all 50 states and mm. so we are a haven for people who are uh so it was Hmong, cambodian laotian folks who were refugees from the war we also have a somali population that's big in the Syrian population so um yeah. we'll probably soon have a big influx of um afghanis as well so yeah. um that's what makes it kind of cool to be here but then yeah. on top of it, then, you know, as we see in the news, we have garbage police and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so the high school was a hodgepodge of all of that. And I feel really lucky to be in that sweet spot. I graduated from high school in 1979. And I was in that sweet spot where um, like painter's pants and vintage clothes were cool. And so yeah. you didn't have to have a million dollars. Designer stuff wasn't the deal. Yes, um, yes. And, and you could still go to like, thrift stores and buy like clothes by the bag for like nothing and get really cool stuff. And so um, there wasn't a class thing. Like when I watch movies like Dazed and Confused and Heathers and stuff, like I didn't understand that. We didn't, we had obviously the popular girls and the cheerleader people and, and the jocks and stuff like that, but we didn't have that meanness that Mm -hmm. seems to be a a very big uh, um, theatrical thread. But it's not right, a thread yes. that was any part of who, who my, what my life was all about. Yeah. What about dating? Were you, were you uh, dating it up when you were in high school? I was. I got pregnant the first time I ever had sex when I was in high school. Oh, good and so, for you. And so, like, That's girl, terrifying. Catholic, terrifying. And I oh. ended up, um, you know, scared alone. You don't want to tell yeah. anybody because that's, like, gossip. So. Yeah. I ended up trying to figure out where to go. And I ended up at one of those. I don't know if you've heard of these fake clinics that are out there being predatory. Um, oh, they no. look like they're called things right. like a woman's choice, but oh, really they're run shoot. by religious people and they're wearing like a that, lab coat that they got off yeah. of Amazon. And as sh- you know, Scientology has done that with many things in Los Angeles. Yes. A lot in Los Angeles. So you're like, this seems like, oh, it's what now? Oh, I see, I see, I see. Okay, got it. You yeah. got me again almost. Yep. You almost got me again. So they tried to, you know, scare me into lying to me about like how far along I was, how pregnancy works, that oh, I was going go to go hell. Um, oh, my goodness. Oh, that's so scary. It's so scary. But the I'm so sorry. Is, I know. That I, it was... 
it was terrible. I also learned a lot. It also set me on a path of realizing that like, if nobody asks you your circumstance and doesn't invest in you as a person who's going through a hard time, um, don't take their counsel and certainly do not take their morality because they don't have any morality and their counsel is self-serving. And I learned that at a very young age. Now I change it. Now I've said, if you're not feeding me, fucking me, you're paying me. Your opinion is at the bottom of things I give a shit about. <laughs> that is just like where it all goes. Um, you know, but I ended up being able to access abortion um, at a place. I got on a bus and saw an advertisement and went. And it was an independent clinic. And um, what's pretty cool is cut to 150 years later, I'm now on the board of that clinic. And one of my dear That's friends great. owns it. So That's great. Yeah. But, you know, so high school, I was having fun and, um, you know, getting knocked up, having sex, having a good time. Um, and, I, and I was like, I really wanted to be a history teacher. That was like my jam. I really wanted to teach. Um, I've always been sort of like hammy and theatrical. But mm-hmm. um, and I thought about theater for just a hot second. But really, my dad was the World War II veteran and never talked about it and bottled up a lot of stuff. So I decided I was going to major in European history so I could maybe crack the dad code. Um, Yeah. And I did a little bit. But um, yeah, shit runs deep. I'm always so impressed when when young people are interested in history. And I know that sounds like a ridiculous thing to say. But I mean, I was a very sensitive, very empathetic, possibly to a destructive point like now you're not helping anyone you're just useless because you are taking on everyone's pain and you're helping in no way but I don't think I had I just didn't for as much as I was aware of people around me or had empathy for suffering and stuff like that um, perhaps because of my sensitivity to those events history was just not something history was school you go to you study history in school. You learn about a bunch of really messy shit that happened. That's very sad and upsetting. Couple of nice things, and then you do whatever it is that you're interested in doing. But having friends, like, I don't think I'm trying to think of any friend. I think I might have had one friend who liked reading historical fiction, and I was like, God, you're smart. You're really <laughs> smart. You're so t- like you're so aware. You care about what happened before. Like you want something set in turn of the century New York. I envy that. It was like I wanted to have that interest. It seems very self-aware and beyond self-aware. Like ex like extra self-aware in terms of outside of self-aware. Do you know what I mean? To have I, do. I mean you say cracking the dad code which kind of obviously makes it like brings it back into you emotionally a little bit, but um, but the idea of teaching history just that seems like a very mature, very cool thing for a teenager to want to do, opposed to like be the lead singer of a band, which you could also want to well, do at the same I time. Mean, you know what I mean? Like you don't have to have that one thing. But well, I loved all that. But I did. I loved all that music, and I love being part of all of that and the whole scene. And I also just felt like I think part of the history thing too was just um, I loved old things like I loved classic movies and I loved um, not only new music but like old music and I'm the youngest by 13 years in my family and so like things that were handed down to me and the historical knowledge of stuff was always really cool you know I love big band music I just always thought it was really swing dancing scene was really fun and um, so I you were ahead of your time because it got popular in like the early 90s in the 90s sort of you were right in between we're like, yeah. you know, doing it and stuff. And it was like, 
it was all I loved the glamour and I also loved you know eras of time where it's like I'd watch old movies about New York and like I loved I loved New York like at the turn of the century and then I really loved New York in the 40s and then the 50s and then the 70s you know and so it was like all of it um was maybe predicated by all the ways New York was portrayed historically, I fell in love with all of it. I thought it was all really cool. And it was just, yeah. and and I think it's why I was like, in my high school yearbook, I wrote like future plans to move out and live somewhere in Manhattan, you know? Yeah. And I didn't really even sometimes knew what that meant. You know, I would sort of conflate like Woody Allen and John Belushi and sure. Andy Warhol sort of all together. Um, yeah. And, you know, I did always love musicals too. And so like, um, piano bars were something that I just thought, oh my God, sitting at a piano or listening to someone sing show tunes is like everything. So yeah, um, I, I really, I don't know that I was smart or anything. I think that I was just curious. And yeah. I think that I often feel like curiosity is a vital organ. Um, sure. And it like, if, if, if you weren't allowed to be curious and you were just handed a way to live which I think for generations that's the way that's what happened for people and so you would find your outlets other places Um, I think I would probably die I don't think what's ironic too because that's sort of I mean that's many people's concept sort of sense or theory of evolution is that one of the most if not the most important things about humanity is curiosity right that 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 is what evolves you past being a creature that just does this, that, and the other thing, and then makes babies, and then that's it. Yeah. Um, so you you feel sort of, I mean, us and raccoons. That's why I love raccoons. Like we, you feel a responsibility. Like, hey, we get this. We got this genetic trait. Let's use it. Possibly not to make bombs, but let's use it. Let's be curious. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. And I think that like killing curiosity is really how I think um, we get to this um, very tribalistic, um, creepy place that we're in. You know, well, it's like fear replaces curiosity, right? It's like you're going to have something, so you're going to have fear instead of curiosity. You're going to just look at the the unknown is now scary, not interesting, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, to not even want to know and decide for yourself whether or not you enjoy it, think it's right, think it's fair, want to fight for it, want to fight against it or whatever, is always so bizarre to me. It's like, don't you want to decide those things on your own? Like, don't you want to have it? Like, what is the, the fear of having an experience? Like, what's the worst thing that happens? You don't like it. Uh, you never have to do it again. Um, unless you're like, you know, cliff diving or something. I don't know, yeah. like, what is... And even in little ways, you know, I get very irritated with people who are like, I'm a picky eater. It's like, no, you're not. You haven't tried a bazillion things. You're a yeah. dull eater. You're uh-huh. a curious <laughs> eater. You are not picky. You just have yeah. never opened yourself up to trying to put something in your mouth, deciding whether you like it, and spitting it out if you don't. That's yeah. like about the lowest lift, 
Like that is like. Uh-huh. <laughs> I hear you. Same person. I mean, I think you're right. I, I, see, this is where my oh, my uber empathy kicks in for better or for worse, because I immediately go to this place of, but maybe you're saying this too, of like, what's that really about? Do you know what I mean? Like, that is what that feels like to me. Like, that's a, is that a control thing? Because I empathize with that. We all have our ways of perhaps wanting to feel like we have some measure of control in our lives. And maybe some people's journey is learning to let go more and more and more and more as you get older. And part of that is the fear. And part of that is embracing the curiosity. Because if you're curious, you're going to put yourself in situations that you're not in control of because you have Mm -hmm. no idea what to expect. But if you are limiting, if you're making your world world small in these very small ways, frankly, maybe there's something else going on there, you know? And I know it's not my job to help people figure it out. But if I care about someone, then I do kind of have this impulse to be like, hey, but what's that about? Yeah. yeah. Like, I can't leave it there. What's that about, do you think, you know? So I don't know. I mean, I guess we have different ways, too, of like sort of wanting to reach other people and thank god there thank someone there thank us that there are so many different ways to kind of get at that whether it is something like air america or it is being a therapist or it is being a good community member or it is being a great cop for those of the you know because they're out there um i think (laughs) i'm i know they are sure they are i know they are i know they are they are um you know, that, that that there are those different, like, that we feel called to or interested in or driven to um, make stuff or be available in different ways from each other to hopefully get at some of that stuff and kind of pick it away and help clear it, air, help flush it, you know yeah, what I mean? Help yeah. flush the system in some way. Yeah. Um, as far as, I'm going to, I want to get into this uh, ridiculous game that I play. Um, I love a game. At the end. Okay, good. Well, it's a mash game, which is mansion, apartment, shack, house. And it's this sort of, time. It's, it's fairly timeless. Like it definitely was around long before I was a kid and it maintains itself today. And it's essentially like a wish fulfillment kind of ridiculous, but it's a way to kind of leave thinking about things you like. Um, but before I do that, that is something I wanted to ask is, you know, when, because you have been a part of some really impactful is that a word uh you know it's not like less it's less than comedy fluff um what did you feel driven to do that to communicate to people or was it kind of like I don't know this is just what I think is fun and what's and what I like talking about or what I like hearing people talk about do you know what I mean was there I don't know if that if there's an answer to that but do do you what's your response when I kind of put that out there I I mean I am a person who um, started out my stand-up career just talking about what I, my experiences in being a person. And even then it was like, are you going to talk about things that are about women? And I was like, I don't have another lens with which to talk about the world. And yeah. so if that offends you, again, I listen all day long to people who have experiences I'll never have, i.e. straight men in comedy. And I laugh and I think it's funny if they make it funny. So why is it that there is this block that an experience that a woman brings to the party is not going to be something you laugh at because it's not your experience. It's super bizarre. Um, But then I really had an epiphany and I've always been a political person, um, but I didn't bring it to the stage really until going back to the, Barbara Kingsolver, you know, 
first Gulf War. Um, and, and I was on a blind date and I will never forget. We were on a blind date and we went to the sports bar and instead of sports being on, it was the war and it was horrifying because it was so, um, it felt like a mini series. There was graphics and theme songs and, yeah. you oh, know, boy, hot guys that. on the roof. And I, it had, yeah, theme songs. Yeah, yeah. Like just like hard hitting, cool action yeah. sounding songs. And, yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, are they reporting on the war or trying to sell me a war? Like just kind of thinking. Yeah. And like five minutes later, my date's like, this is really cool. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, they just sold him the war. And from that point forward, it was if there was anything close to having an epiphany about like how I wanted to then change the way that I talked about things and that I wanted to have um, something more to say that coupled with the fact that if you're a woman who stands on stage and decides that your opinions matter. That's a radical act in and of itself. And people are going to judge you anyway. So you might as well say something, you know? And so it's like, if you're going to judge me for my dick jokes, I've, I feel like I want to say something. And so um, I think I did two one woman shows, you know, just about the war or Gulf war. And then just about, you know, feminism and, and politics. And so it's it was something that I wanted to do because I felt like the media was derelict long before we talked about the derelict media. Mm -hmm. um, and I and I really wanted to hold the media accountable as well as um, the people in it. And so I always want to make fun of the news because um, I think that people would give the news a pass and just talk about like politicians and stuff like that. And, you know, and it was like. Saturday Night Live was funny and I loved it. But um, like even Weekend Update, you know, they didn't ever have, they hardly ever yeah, had. Yeah, it wasn't like meta commentary. Shoulder graphics during Weekend yeah. Update and stuff. And so I was like, I want to, I want to like become the news and look like them and sound like them and then reveal who they are by being them. And yeah. so that was, it was definitely intentional it wasn't just like, this is kind of fun. Wonder where this will go. I had no yeah. idea that, you know, I knew it would resonate with people just because of my stand-up act. Yeah. But um, I didn't know to the degree with which it would resonate. And I didn't know that it would sustain. I honestly, like the Daily Show lives because media remains derelict in being better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, are you do you, are you still in touch with Brian Unger? All the time. He's one of my best yeah. friends. Oh God, I yep. love him. He's the greatest. Yeah, Brian. All Unger, the all. Oh man, yeah. We dated I would just... for four years. Oh yeah, nice. And then we had a production. I, I like that pairing. Together. I like that pairing. I like that pairing. Whatever form it takes, I like yeah, the pairing no, a as a couple. Pairing. But if it moves into the producer or it moves into friendship, yeah. like that's just a good pairing. Well, you know, when somebody decides that you're not the exact right gender for them, it kind of yeah. takes on a whole new situation. Yeah. Um, but right. yeah, best friends produce things together. Ugh. I talk to him a couple times a week. Um, oh man, he and his family and I are, and my family are really close. I love Brian. He's oh, he, and I say that anybody 
who at whatever point you started watching the daily show uh brian unger is the person that created that correspondent character and yes and a hundred percent laid down the prototype so profoundly and just never gets enough credit yep absolutely agree yeah, that is a person that, you know, I've we keep coming, unlike the two of you, we sort of have this like, you know, big loops of time in between coming back together to try to work on something together. But uh, I would only be freaking delighted if I got to work on something with him again. He's Such just, a good dude. He's just so great. Yep. Oh, and also like, you know, sort of balancing, and I'm sure you guys talk about this all the time. My my sweetie teaches or taught a, a comedy and journalism uh, class at um, Second City. He's coming from straight journalism, being like an editor of alt weeklies his whole kind of career, um, but also being a very funny person. And we, he, Brian and I went in together to be guests in the class and sort of talked about our experiences, his many more than mine, um, in journalism or in, in the media. And like, uh, it is so hard to be someone as, as smart and sensitive and just sharp, sharp, sharp as he is. And, and and have to still weather the actual media, yeah. you know, because he's more immersed in it than, and thank God he is because he's a great voice in places where there's a dearth of those voices. But that also means that he has to weather a lot of bullshit. And that just Well, that was tiring. it. So, I mean, when we were dating, it was before The Daily Show and into the, da- and into the creation of The Daily Show. And it was like, you are miserable. You are a journalist. They're sending you to the OJ trial and they're sending you to do these horrible things and you hate it. Um, you know, you have a choice to make. Are you going to, do you want to come and make fun of them and hold them accountable? And he was like, thought about it. And he was like, I do, but I'm not a comic. And I'm like, but you're funny. And you also understand dry humor and a funny, there's no one funnier than a disgruntled reporter. That's right. <laughs> oh, well said. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is a podcast. <gasps> Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. That thing is not my daughter. And I want you to tell me there's a show where the hosts don't just report on French science and spirituality, but take part themselves. Well, there is, and it's Ono, Ross, and Carrie on Maximum Fun. This year, we actually became certified exorcists. So yes, Carrie and I can help your daughter. Or we can just talk about it on the show. Ono, Ross, and Carrie on MaximumFun.org. Okay, I'm going to give you categories. The only thing you need to do is sort of uh, speak from your gut. Uh, You're going to give me three answers for each thing. And at the end, I'm going to do this very uncomplicated 
eeny, meeny, miny, mo type of calculating. And then we're going to give you this sort of alternate universe or even just this mash because the game is called mash we give you this future uh and it's going to be fantastical to say the least oh my god it sounds hard but all i have to do is answer but yeah all you have basically all you have to do is answer with things you like okay so it should be it should be pretty painless okay for example first category will come in with a minneapolis uh soft landing for the busy chicago of mash games uh Three foods that in this reality, maybe they're, they, you're allergic to it or uh, you just can't have it because you got, had it one time in this faraway place and you're like, oh, I always want one of those, blah, but I can't get it. We're going to give you in this reality the uh, option of just snapping your fingers and you can just have it in perpetuity wherever you are with zero ramifications. That's easy. So Fagri's was a restaurant that I worked at. Great. And they had this Chinese chicken salad. That was really, really great. And they also made the best Bernays and they would serve a basket of hot fries with a side of Bernays. Oh, yes. And that was delightful. Um, All Minneapolis based that I can't get anymore? No, anywhere, anywhere anywhere in the world. Okay. Oh, so there was a candy growing up. Biddle Honey made made something called Biddle Licorice. Oh, crap. Okay, so never heard was, of it. it. It it lasted about 10 minutes. I'm sure I'm the yeah. only person that liked it. I would have liked it. Um, And it was chewy like bit of honey, but it was, and it was like a cross between a licorice and a caramel. But yeah, it was so it still had that salty, sweet, yeah, it the was salty so sweetness. Good. And oh, it had um, purple and purple and black wrapper. And I that yeah. I terribly miss. Oh, um, great. And then, um, I know I'm going to kick myself. That is the one downside of this is that when I go, you'll oh, definitely, that an hour from now, you'll be like, anymore. oh, come on. Like, it'll come um, to you in an hour. I would say, I would say, um, gosh. The third- and you can also just say, like, look, I love you know, Rocky Road ice cream. I wish I could eat a gallon of it and not get sick. Like, well, that, also, give like, me that, I'm you know? also, I have to say, I'm just going to go back um, because I love licorice. Bridgman's yeah. had a licorice ice cream. There was a oh, old timey um, ice cream store called Bridgman's that had a licorice ice cream. That was really good with chunks of black licorice in it. That yeah. was really great. I think I like all the things that people say you either like it or you don't. Me like, too. Pretty much. Me too. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I'm always the one that's like, cilantro? More, please. More, please. Licorice? Uni. Great, let's like do uni. it. You can keep uni. I don't like uni, and I don't like a, a real soft, rubbery scallop either. Now no, that you bring up uni. No. Well, there you go. Okay. Fantastic. All right. Next category, three films that you can jump into and just be in that world whenever you want. It's almost like a little mini vacation. You could go into Breakfast at Tiffany's for five minutes or never if you don't like that movie, but you could go into some of these New York movies that you grew up loving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, oof, I got to hang out with this character. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, I would say um, The Women. Oh, great. I love that movie. It's so fun and catty, yes. and I love it. Yeah. Um, I would say probably When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, it's great. Come on. I mean, it's just fun and New York-y. Um, and I would say, 
and American in Paris. Okay, great. All right, next category, uh, romance, sexy times. Three people could be characters, could be actors from way back when. Anybody in any phase, we're going to sort of resuscitate them. That sounds like I'm talking about a, a corpse. Uh, but, you know, you can, you can, it can be anybody from any, could be a book, could be a cartoon character. Three that you'd like to have a little sexy times with. Oh, um, well, Gregory Peck is like my one true love. Yeah. I got to put him in here, right? I got to put him in. For what sure. era, though? What era? Uh, I like would a Roman holiday era or a... Atticus Finch. Yeah, it is. Great. Uh, okay. Like, I finally get three. So I'm going to say Viggo Mortensen is Aragorn in, Lord, in The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, great. And then I'm going to say address Elba to this living his life he's somehow not of this world and yet so incredibly of this world I and mean, both parts are just the most delicious and wonderful oh my goodness gracious what yes. a dream boat oh yeah okay uh next category let's do let's do collaborations and i don't care what that means you could you could record an album with with elvis costello whether or not you feel like you have it in this op in this world that's not opposite world in this alternate universe you can do whatever you want. So whether it's making a movie with Babs or recording an album with Elvis Costello or writing something with Dorothy Parker, whatever you want, three collaborations uh, that it would be fun to get to work on. Um, it's really hard because like I have wildly different interests and some of my dreams have come true. Like I've collaborated with Rachel Maddow. So I did yeah. that. Um, I would say, well, if it, someone's not around anymore, then that's my, a good one, too. Because yeah. you're like, oh, man, this person isn't even alive anymore. I wish I, um, I wish I could have. Molly Ivins. Great. Great Texas writer and political like genius. Um, Wonderful. Prince and David Bowie. Oh, yes. That's three, isn't it? Oh, it's that's a fabulous three. Yeah, Prince that's and a David holy Bowie. trinity right there. That's yeah. great. Okay. Uh, next category, uh, give me three places in the world that you would like to have a second home. It could be a bustling, busy second home in the middle of a city somewhere, or it could be like, you know, a cabin in the middle of nowhere, um, anywhere in the world. And it's like, we can teleport you there. You don't have to, you know. I don't have to worry about it. Um, yeah. Paris. Great. East Hampton, New York. Great. And the Amalfi Coast. Beautiful. Okay. Last category, give me, let's do three, three skills that you don't feel like you have in this. And it could be as simple as like, I wish I had, you know, could take, I, this is not simple. I wish I could take apart a, a, a car or a thing or, you know, uh, but it could also be like, I wish I could, I was an amazing dancer, like with all the flexibility in the world. Uh, three skills that were just going to sort of hand you, you, you'd love to have be handed in this alternate universe. I wish I could play piano great i wish i was a great handyman like yeah, encompassing too. plastering wiring light plumbing yeah handy person same and then i wish i could start fires from sticks oh great fire starter are you kidding me absolutely i'm fully i'm like enrolled to take a not a survival like i'm suddenly going to become a survivalist and build a bomb shelter person but like a the, the, like how to do that and you know two more days of other stuff like that um that i was supposed to do right before covid started now i'm just waiting for it to become available again but it was one of those like i gotta 
I got to find out how to do some of this stuff. I want to be, I just want to know how to do this, you know? Um, so heartily approve. Okay. Give me a number between one and seven. Three. Great. Okay. We are almost done. This will round out our uh, podcast episode. Would you like to take this moment to subtly vamp and tell people what they should be doing, what they should be caring about, where to find you, anything like that 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 you want people to be aware of? Sure. Um, I think that there's a couple of things. I am going to be doing stand-up on the West Coast in Seattle and Portland and San Francisco in early November. And you can check bands in town to see all my dates. And I'm doing a big uh, Minneapolis New Year's Eve extravaganza, which I always do a big year in review. Uh, And then my my organization, Abortion Access Front, is doing a super fun online streaming fundraiser called Do Re Me Too, where great musicians are covering the most sexist songs ever oh and that's a great a idea twist on it and we have amanda palmer and jill sobule and busy phillips and sandra bernhardt and all these oh, really that's great great people and that's september ladies. 23rd and nice. information for that you can go to aafront.org slash d r m t okay fantastic uh all right well i have the results of this alternate universe fabulous life uh i'm excited to tell you about first of all i gotta tell you that you have uh not only can you jump into the movie an american in paris which gives you paris you also have a house on the amalfi coast so we can just tick off both paris and amalfi coast nice uh this is there's there's a lot of juicy stuff in here. I'm actually quite envious. This is this is really 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 good. I, love uh, my life so I want you I want you to know that you have uh, you're creating something fabulous with the sublime David Bowie. Oh my gosh! You are. This doesn't surprise me because you are. And I know that. Let me just put it this way. Yes, you are working with David Bowie, and I think I know part of what you'll be bringing to the collaboration because. You know, when you were a teenager and you just imagine going into piano bar and, and, you know, how fun that would be and how lovely it would be in New York. In this iteration, not only do you walk in there, but the pianist is like, ah, Liz, come on, sit down, play something for us. Come oh, on, play fun. something for oh, us. Oh, my God. Because you're a marvelous pianist. Uh, you also have um, the, these two I want to imagine just for me. For me, I want to imagine these things happening side by side. I want you I, I just want to imagine uh you feeding, as you also enjoy it, you feeding Idris Elba the Fagri's delicious chicken salad yes. and the Bernays sauce with a hot fries. Oh, my God, yes. Look at that. Look so at that's that. what this is all about. I've I left am. with, like, this sort of delicious feeling of oh. all of these wonderful things. What a wonderful life I'm having. That's right. <laughs> that's I got to right. check that in with my life because I feel like <laughs> it's going great. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing oh this. This is such God, a pleasure. I, hopefully we get uh, to see each other soon. And I know. I can be amongst our nearest and nearest together. I know. I do too. And I love what you're up to. And thank you for, you know, just uh, helping women feel like, you know, they all got a voice and they are, their voice deserves to be heard. It's, That's right. It's you a know, big deal. Lead by example. When you yeah. show that you can be a loudmouth and still have a wonderful life, it allows people to also decide to be loudmouths, which I appreciate. That's right. That's yeah. right. 
All right, everybody else, I will talk to you next week on the podcast. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Hey, remember when we could save kittens from trees or lunch on skyscrapers, bring the villains to their knees. Maybe we should. Someplace new and build time machines to go and get us back. Maximumfun.org Comedy and Culture Artist Owned Audience Supported